You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. If you guys will open up your Bibles to James chapter 3. Uh, If you don't have a copy of Scripture with you, it's page 1012 in your pew Bible. James chapter 3. No church, a, a story is told of a young couple who invited their elderly pastor over for Sunday dinner. And while the couple was in the kitchen preparing the meal, the aging minister asked their son what they were having to eat. And the little boy replied, we're having goat. And a bit shocked and taken back, the pastor asked, goat, are you sure about that? And the boy responded, oh yes, on the drive back from church, I heard mommy say to daddy, remember, we're having the old goat for dinner tonight. Church, this is a classic example of putting your foot in your mouth. You see, to put your foot in your mouth is to say or do something that offends, upsets, or embarrasses someone else and gets you into trouble in the process. The phrase is said to originate from the 1870s, referring to foot and mouth disease, which was an infection found in cattle. And it was deadly, it was a deadly virus, and it caused eruptions to break out around the hoofs and around the mouth. Of course, we all know what it's like for eruptions, for eruptions to break out of our mouths, right? We've all said things that are awkward and embarrassing. We've all said things that are stupid and hurtful. We've all said things that we regret and wish we could walk back. We've all said things that got us into trouble. You guys understand what I'm talking about? Are you with me? Yeah, we've all been there. This is why time and time again, time and time again, the Bible warns us to watch your mouth. Proverbs 21, 23 says, Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. You see, church, in the same way that we routinely brush our teeth to maintain good hygiene and keep our mouths free from trouble, we need to maintain a similar practice when it comes to our speech. We need to perform routine checkups to make sure that the words that flow out of our mouths are healthy and God-honoring and will keep us out of trouble. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. In other words, we're going to reap the consequences of how we talk, whether good or bad. I learned this the hard way growing up, because on more than one occasion, I failed to watch my mouth, And my mother got some bar soap and washed my mouth. How many of you could relate to that? Yeah. Sometimes you get used to the taste. You've got to change the soap up once in a while, you know. But all this to say, God takes the speech of his children very seriously. And he won't let an unrestrained, sinful tongue go unpunished. And so therefore, we'd be wise to embrace the Bible's warnings on how to tame it. And so this morning, as we continue our study in the book of James, we're going to learn more. And this is, this is man, this, this was something that's going to hit, hit hard, I think, for all of us this morning. We're going to learn more about the power of the tongue and how our speech is actually an accurate reflection of our spiritual condition. And it's, it's through this study that we're going to be reminded of this important truth, and it's this, a guarded heart produces a guarded tongue. And we're going to come back to that thought as we navigate through this morning's sermon. And so before we get started, let's just pray one more time before we hop in. 
Lord Jesus, I want to, again, thank you for the opportunity to be up here to bring your word to your people. And Lord, I pray that the words that flow from my tongue this morning would be honoring to you. And God, as we dive into a very practical yet very difficult passage of Scripture, because it cuts, it cuts right to our hearts, I pray, Lord, that you would use it to just make us more like Jesus and sprinkle this whole message with your, with your grace as well. We commit it to you in Christ's name. Amen. So church, in the early days of Billy Graham's uh, crusade ministry, he would often ask this question. He'd say, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? In other words, since people can't see your heart, can your claim of being a Christian be proven in a court of law based upon your behavior? Would there be enough eyewitnesses to back your claim? Now, if the answer is no, or the evidence is underwhelming, then your claim to faith is pretty useless, right? Would you agree? Well, in many ways, that is the heartbeat behind the book of James. See, as a reminder, James is a book all about practical Christian living. It's a book about putting your faith into practice. And so last week, we learned that faith without works is dead. In other words, it's useless. To genuinely believe in Christ without genuinely obeying Christ does does no good for you or for others. And so it's for this reason that James commanded the church to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. He commanded them to demonstrate their doctrine. Well, in today's text, he's going to emphasize what this looks like in relation to the tongue. And so let's begin. We're going to read the whole text and then we'll break it down. It's James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Follow along with me. It reads, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, produce Bear olives or grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. You know, we've all heard that saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but what? Words will never hurt me. Of course, we all know that whoever came up with this adage apparently did not get out much. (laughs) Because we all know that words, actually sticks and stones can hurt you, okay? They'll hurt you bad. And words can hurt even worse. They can be profoundly hurtful. Harsh words have a way of piercing the soul that can leave long-term damaging effects on self-esteem, relationships, marriages, careers, ministries, and so forth. 
Needless to say, the, the tongue can be extremely destructive, which is why James doesn't hold his tongue while teaching the church how to hold theirs. Found within today's passage are four characteristics con concerning the tongue. Let's look at the first one. It's the tongue convicts. The tongue convicts. Look at verse 1. He says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. In 1995, a movie came out called Mr. Holland's Opus. Any of you guys ever seen Mr. Holland's Opus before? The film chronicles the 30-year teaching career of Glenn Holland, who was a successful and talented musician and composer. And the film ends, spoiler alert, uh, 1995, if you didn't see it, sorry, um, by showing the profound influence Mr. Holland had on his students. And so during his retirement ceremony, students representing all different classes from all the years converged together to honor his teaching career and give him one last performance. And to show how influential Mr. Holland had been on the school, one of the students was giving a speech and she said, Mr. Holland, we are your symphony. We are the melodies and notes of your opus, and we are the music of your life. You see, church, teachers can have a powerful influence, and their powerful influence can impact multiple generations, either for the good or for the bad. And so James begins his teaching on the tongue by addressing teaching within the context of a church. You see, evidently there were those within the Jerusalem church who were overly anxious to become teachers. Now, just to be clear, James wasn't discouraging these people from becoming teachers or following their desire or gifting to teach, but rather he was forewarning them that stricter judgment awaits those who teach because of their ability to influence and impact multiple people and generations. And so it's for this reason that those who desire to teach God's word should take their calling very seriously and should embrace Paul's command in Titus 2, verses 7 through 8. He says this, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity and dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned. Now, even though James was specifically addressing teachers within the church, his warning of divine judgment can rightly be applied to the whole church, whether you're a preacher, teacher, or layman. Why? Because in a very real sense, listen, in a very real and sobering sense, every single one of us will be scrutinized for our speech. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 36-37, he said, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Church, one day we will stand before the Lord and give an account for what we said and how we said it. No one's off the hook. Teacher or not, no one's off the hook. And this is why learning how to tame the tongue is so important. And in 2022, learning how to tame the tongue also means learning how to tame what you type. You know, social media is a funny thing, isn't it? People will say things on their news feeds or in comment sections that they would never say in person. Something about a computer screen. It's like, they can't get me, so here we go. But sadly, this includes many believers, especially over the last few years. In fact, the behavior of Christians on social media has been so egregious and embarrassing that they've shipwrecked their Christian witness. And to make matters worse, it's on the internet for everyone to see. How many of you understand what I'm talking about? Say, I do. 
I get it. Yeah, we get this. You know, we've seen it. We observed it. Maybe some of us added to it. Church, one day we will need to give an account before God of how we talked and, frankly, how we typed. And so whether it be in person or online, when it comes to the tongue, we must remember that we are called to a much higher standard than the world around us. The world says, just say what's on your mind, be outraged, let it loose. God's word says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths or type. But only such that is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. That's what God's word says. And in addition to divine future judgment, another reason for learning how to tame the tongue is it actually helps bring the entirety of our spiritual life under control. Our whole spiritual life can be under control by how we speak. James continues, look at verse 2, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. You see, in essence, James is telling the church that while no one's perfect... A person who controls their talk has much, much better control over the Christian walk. In other words, as the tongue goes, so goes your Christian testimony. And this leads us to the second characteristic of the tongue. The tongue controls. It controls. Look at verses 3 and 4. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. A young lieutenant was at a tea for officers and their wives, and the commanding general of the base delivered what seemed to be an endless speech. The young lieutenant grumbled to the woman sitting next to him. He said, what a pompous and unbearable old windbag that slob is. And the woman turned to him, her face filled with rage, and she said, excuse me, lieutenant? Do you have any idea who I am? The young man fumbled and responded, uh, no, ma'am. She said, I am the wife of the man you just called an unbearable old windbag. After an awkward moment of silence, the lieutenant asked, well, do you have any idea who I am? The wife answered, no. The lieutenant responded, that's good. Then he got up from the seat and disappeared into the crowd. <laughs> Church, the tongue, one of the smallest muscles in the body, but it can lead us into large amounts of trouble real quick. Just as a small bridle controls a large horse and a small rudder controls a powerful ship, the tongue is capable of controlling our direction, which is why we need to learn how to handle it. I like what Proverbs chapter 10, verses 19 through 21, especially in the NLT says, it says, too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. It's about as clear as it can get, right? The words of the godly are like sterling silver. The heart of a fool is worthless. The words of the godly encourage many, but fools are destroyed by their lack of common sense. Now, not only can an unbridled tongue get us, into, get us into trouble, but it can cause a lot of trouble for other people as well. James continues, verse 5. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things, and how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Church, on October 8th, 1871... Mrs. O'Leary's cow kicked over a lantern. And this led to what is known as the Great Chicago Fire. It left 100,000 people homeless, including the great evangelist D.L. Moody. It destroyed uh, 17,500 buildings. It killed 300 people. 
and it caused $40 million worth of damage. That's back in 1871, so that would be substantially more in today's numbers. And it all happened because one cow kicked over a lantern. Interestingly enough, I did not know this. I came across this in one of the commentaries I was reading. Historians tell us that on the very same day, another fire took place in the north woods of Wisconsin. And that fire burned for an entire month and actually took more lives than the Great Chicago Fire. And this fire was started by a small spark on a dry autumn day, leading to a firestorm that destroyed billions of yards of timber. Church, James says that the tongue is similar to a spark or a flame. It's small, but it can set everything ablaze, causing insurmountable damage. It's no wonder why Proverbs 13.3 says, Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Of course, this begs the question, well, what exactly is it about the tongue that causes ruin? Well, in no particular order, and this list is not exhaustive, but I'll give you some ideas. The tongue can be used for gossip, innuendo, flattery, criticism, boastfulness, maligning, name-calling, cursing, lying, abuse, complaining, betraying, distortion, perversion, backbiting, quarreling, piercing, degrading, slander, swearing, scoffing, scorning, harshness, grumbling, dividing, and singing off-key. And all of these, with the exception of the last, are evil in the eyes of God. Psalm 34, 13 says, Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. You know, one of the greatest freedoms that we enjoy here in America is the freedom of speech. And freedom of speech is the right of an individual or community to articulate information, ideas, and opinions without fear of governmental retaliation, censorship, or legal sanction. And while we're blessed to have this freedom, and it's a freedom worth fighting for as Christians, we cannot use it to justify evil speech. In fact, the moment when we choose to follow Jesus, listen, listen to me, the moment when we choose to follow Jesus we're also choosing, on our own volition, mind you, to limit our freedom of speech. Colossians 3.17 says, And in whatever you do, in word, or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You see, as believers, we're called to limit our speech in a way that gives honor and glory to the Lord. It's on our own volition. No one's forcing us to do it. But that's how we're supposed to live as believers. We actually limit how we talk so that what comes out of our mouths gives God glory. In fact, to choose otherwise, we're, if we choose to just let our tongues run rampant and just respond and react to everything that we see in a, in a dishonoring way, way, we're living in sin. And one commentator put it bluntly, he says, those who misuse their tongue are guilty of spiritual arson. How are we all doing out there? Are we doing okay? Yeah, this is tough stuff. And so this leads us to the third characteristic. The tongue corrupts. The tongue corrupts. Look at verse 6. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body and setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. James, come on, man. This is tough stuff. 
Remember I told you earlier on, you know, we've been telling you, James doesn't mess around when he preaches, right? When he writes a book, he gets right to the point really quick. You see, in a valley just south of Jerusalem, there's this place called Gehenna, or the Valley of Hinnom. And found within this valley was a never-ending fire consisting of criminal corpses, dead animals, and all manners of refuse, including sewage, flesh, and garbage. It was a disgusting place of filth. It was repulsive and sickening to the eyes and nose. It was a picture of corruption and pollution of the worst kind. Well, the Greek word that James uses to reference hell is the word Gehenna. And in this context, he's saying that an uncontrolled tongue like Gehenna will continually burn our lives. And if left unchecked, Satan will use it to accomplish hell's purposes of corruption and pollution and destruction. Church, the painfully graphic point is hard to miss here. An uncontrolled tongue will contaminate our lives, whether we realize it or not. James continues, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creatures can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. The story is told of eight-year-old Molly, who brought her report card home from school. And her marks were good, but her teacher wrote a note across the bottom which said, Molly is a smart little girl, but she has one fault. She often gets herself into trouble by talking too much in school. I have an idea that I'm going to try, which I think may break her of the habit. Molly's dad signed her report card and wrote a note on the back. Please let me know if your idea works on Molly. If it does work, I would like to try it out on her mother. you got to have a little humor this morning because this is heavy stuff, right? <laughs> but church, there is no human solution to taming the tongue. You know, when we first got our dog, Max, we trained him how to sit. We trained him how to lie down, how to give us his paw. We even trained him how to ring a bell when he has to go to the bathroom. But he's also learned to trick us because he just wants to ring the bell to go outside. And so me and Max have to exchange words every once in a while. You see, we can tame animals to do all sorts of things, right? But we cannot tame the human tongue. Why? Because the human tongue is more like a viper. It always carries the potential to poison someone else. And we don't always have the power to control when and where it's just going to strike. Sometimes it just happens, right? You guys know, you guys are with me. You understand this, right? Sometimes our tongue's just like, like, where did that come from? Like just poison spews out of our mouths and, and sometimes it's like I wasn't planning on that. Like it wasn't part of my day for that to come out of my mouth. You all know what I'm talking about. Can't tame it, can't control it. All this to say, we're not, we're not left hopeless because God, God can help us tame the tongue. James says no human being can tame the tongue, but God can. David understood this when he prayed in Psalm 141.3. He said, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. We would be wise to be praying this prayer. Amen? I mean, when you talk about literally you can't do it in your own strength, when it comes to the tongue, you really, you really can't. We need the Lord's help. This leads us to the fourth and final characteristic of the tongue. The tongue conveys... What does it convey? Let's see. Let's look at verses 9 through 10. 
James says, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. In The Wizard of Oz, there's a scene with Dorothy and Scarecrow and the Tin Man, the Lion, and Toto. And they were standing before the great and powerful Oz. And if you remember, at one point, Toto ran over to a little green curtain, and he pulled it back with his mouth, and he revealed this old man talking into a microphone. And caught off guard, the, the old man said, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. But by this time, it was way too late. The great and powerful Oz was uncovered for being who he really was, a fraud. Church, the tongue uncovers or conveys who we really are on the inside. It reveals the person behind the curtain. Sure, any one of us can appear spiritual by speaking Christianese on a Sunday morning and praising and worshiping God for an hour, but it's how we speak the rest of the week that reveals our true spiritual condition. See, James doesn't beat around the bush when he calls out the hypocrisy of a believer who sings, I raise a hallelujah on a Sunday morning, only to swear and raise the middle finger to somebody on a Sunday afternoon. He emphatically implores, these things ought not be so. Church, I didn't know this until I did my study this week. There is one time this statement is used in the entire New Testament, and it's right here. And it's a strong repudiation to believers with an unrestrained tongue. Simply put, James says, it is unacceptable. You're defaming the name of Jesus every time you do this. These things ought not be so. Instead, we're called to embrace a radically different approach. Ephesians 4.31 says, Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and harsh words and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. And So then James closes out his thoughts by giving an illustration that points to the origin behind an uncontrolled tongue. And it's through this illustration that we're able to learn the secret to controlling our tongues. So let's look at verses 10, or excuse me, 11 and 12. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. You see, church, a spring cannot produce two types of water. A fig tree cannot produce olives. A grapevine cannot produce figs. And a salt pond cannot produce fresh water. Why? Because the outside fruit is a reflection or stems from the inside root. If the fruit of your mouth or my mouth doesn't fit the inner faith that we claim to follow, then there's a problem with the inside. There's a problem with the heart. And therein lies the key to learning how to tame the tongue with God's help. Jesus said in Luke 6.45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Don't miss this. Friends, if we desire to have speech that honors the Lord, 
then we actually need to move past what's coming out of our mouths and evaluate the condition of our hearts. Because everything that we say ultimately stems from the condition of our hearts. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. It's been said that Fort Knox is the most secure vault on the planet. Beyond being constructed with concrete lined granite and reinforced steel, it's rumored to be equipped with the latest and most modern protective devices, including landmines, electric fences, machine guns, and radar. Isn't that cool? It's also surrounded by armed guards. Church, to keep your heart implies guarding it in the same way that we guard Fort Knox. The goal is to make it almost impossible for the enemy to get in. And so how do we accomplish this? Well, the answer is actually a lot simpler than, than you would think. And it's an answer that you actually all know. But it's, it bears repeating because we all have this struggle. We need to be reminded of it every single day. We accomplish this by maintaining a heart-healthy spiritual diet. This diet includes constantly seeking the Lord in prayer. Scripture says pray without ceasing, always be in communication with the Lord, being aware of his presence throughout the day, consistently consuming his word. The more you're in this book, the harder it's going to be for, for, for evil to come out of your mouths. And not just that. It's not just praying, and it's not just reading. It's also carrying out obedience to his commands. In other words, if God's word says it, we actually have to live it out. It helps put up barriers of protection. And lastly, it's confessing and repenting in areas that we fall short. So again, constantly seeking the Lord in prayer, consistently consuming his word, carrying out obedience to his commands, and confessing and repenting when we fall short. That's the cycle. And when we apply these basic principles, these are basic Christian 101 principles, but when we apply these to our daily lives, it's going to go a long way in protecting our hearts from being penetrated by the enemy. And you know what, church? The results will literally speak for themselves. Because the words that are going to come out of your mouth are going to make God look good. Which, in, which at the end of the day should be the aim of every follower of Jesus, making God look good. So church, as we close, I want to encourage you to evaluate the condition of your heart. You know, we kind of did that right before we received communion, but it's worth revisiting. Ask the Lord to reveal any areas of sinful speech, sinful talk, sinful type that might be in your life right now. And the root cause of that sin. So not just an awareness of like, okay, yeah, my mouth is, is pretty rough in these areas or my type is a little rough in these areas. That's, that's the, the symptom, but what's the cause? The cause you have to dig a little bit deeper. God will reveal it. And then just take a moment to confess it and repent of it and seek the Lord's help for better days ahead. David said it best in Psalm 19.14. He said, let the words of my mouth... And the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. How about it? Amen? And so this brings us back to today's truth to remember. It's a guarded heart that produces a guarded tongue. Now, church, as always, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that the very first step 
in guarding your heart on earth, is making sure your heart is guarded for eternity. It's making sure that your heart has been transformed and saved by Jesus. Why? Because you're going to have no power to do any of this without Jesus living in you. Remember I said earlier, no human being can tame the tongue. In your own strength and power, we can't live according to the ways that God wants us to live. But God's power through us, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Amen? So you need Jesus. You need to make sure that you're one of his children. You need to make sure that your soul is saved. The Bible teaches that the human heart is terminally infected by the disease of sin. All of humanity has a spiritual heart condition that cannot be helped or healed by human hands. Only Christ has the power to perform the surgery needed to transform your heart and save your soul for eternity. It's a message that I've given my life to proclaiming. Most important message the world needs to hear. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You understand? I mean, Dave did a wonderful job explaining that to us before communion, but do you understand the gravity of that? Friends, the reality is we are, as, as saved, born-again believers, we are going to continue to fall short of his glory, and we're going to continue to sin, and we're going to continue to mess up, and our talk is, is never going to be truly like Jesus until we're with Jesus. And the beauty of the cross is that is not held against us anymore because we're covered by the blood of Jesus. His righteousness is our righteousness. Two thousand years ago, God, in his great love for you and I, became a man in Jesus. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross, taking the burden of sin upon himself. And I don't know about you, but I feel like every day that goes by, I realize how, how wretched I, I really am. It's like as you grow as a believer, you actually, oh, wow, God really did save me from my sin. He took all that sin upon himself, and three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. And in doing so, he provided a way to receive forgiveness for our sins, eternal forgiveness for our sins, and have the opportunity to have eternal life. That is the good news of the gospel. And friends, to receive this free gift, all you must do is repent of your sin and believe in Jesus. Believe. Believe that his work on the cross was enough for you. In fact, you can leave here this morning having a transformed heart, ready to live a transformed life, and the assurance of eternal life. That's, a, that's, a, that's a, a heavenly trifecta right there. You can leave here with a transformed heart, a transformed life for the ability to live a transformed life, and the assurance of eternal life. Is that a good deal today? That's free of charge, by the way. You can always put your offering in the back on the way out, though. <laughs> you can leave with all that by giving your life to Jesus this morning. Start that process. You could say, dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. Just pray to him. Say, I ask for your forgiveness, and I believe in Jesus Christ, your son, and I believe that he died for my sin and that you raised him to life, and I want to trust him as my Savior and follow him as my Lord from this day forward and guide my life and help me to do your will. I pray this in the name of Jesus. And I want to tell you something. If you, if you grapple with that and you truly just 
pray, just acknowledge before God, confess before God that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, you will be saved. And if you pray to receive Jesus today, or you'd like more information on what it means to, to be saved and receive Christ, mark it on your Connect card, or speak with myself or one of the other pastors after the service today. Or you can come up front, grab one of these packets of information underneath the pulpit that gives you some great information as well to grow in your walk with Jesus. Listen, friend, don't leave here without the assurance of eternal life. It is such a blessing. You know, all the songs that we sang leading up to, to, to the message today was just all about the mercy and the grace and the wonder of the cross. We celebrate because when we fall short, it's all covered. Amen? It's all covered by the Savior, and that's such a blessing uh, to know. Otherwise, we'd all, be, we'd all be in deep trouble. So we praise Jesus this morning. I'd like to invite the praise team to come forward. We're going to close by singing one more song. It's really a song of prayer, just asking the Lord to, to do business in our hearts this morning before we leave. So let me pray for you as they come forward. Lord Jesus, thank you for the gospel and the good news that comes from your word. Lord, your word is clear. You say, be holy for I am holy. That, our calling is to live lives of holiness. But in the same breath, God, you recognize that apart from a Savior, we cannot live holy lives. And so you stood in that gap for us. You've taken our sin upon yourself. and You transferred your righteousness onto us. God, we are incredibly grateful and stricken with awe. Lord Jesus, we need you this morning. Not just for our salvation. We praise you for those that are saved here this morning. If there's anyone here that is not, I pray that they would come to faith in you. But we also need you for day-to-day -day living, God. We, we recognize now more than ever before that we cannot tame our tongues. And that is one area of life that, that you desire holiness in. So help us, Lord. Set a guard over our mouths. Reveal the condition of our hearts. Heal us, cleanse us. Convict us, encourage us, but help us to leave here more like Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.